Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thanks for joining us here on another episode of AOA, Agriculture of America. Thank you for being along for the ride. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Another busy show lined up for you. Got a lot of ground to cover, a lot of different topics uh, impacting agriculture that we are discussing here on today's program. Coming up in segment two, the Secretary of the National Association of Wheat Growers, Jamie Cress, will join us to talk about their recent farm bill fly-in and more. In segment three, we're going to get an update on the Russia-Ukraine situation, its impact on the markets and the global market picture. Kyle Holland is a Mintech market analyst based in London. We're going to have a conversation with him coming up later in the show. And to round out the show today, we're going to talk with Ann Schwegel, the vice president of the Minnesota Farmers Union. She was recently in D.C. as well, part of the National Farmers Union fly-in. We're going to talk to her about that and more coming up here at the end of the show today. Today's program brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. Learn more at Cenex.com. Starting the show, though, let's talk with Ross Bender from the Mosaic Company as we learn more about Mosaic Biosciences. Ross, thanks for joining us today. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, we're doing well. Thank you. Looking forward to the conversation today, Jesse. Well, I mentioned uh, Mosaic Biosciences, and then this was just announced. So can you tell us a little bit more about it? What is Mosaic Biosciences, Ross? We're, we're excited. It's a, it's a new opportunity that we're pursuing. Our mission at Mosaic is to help the world grow the food it needs. Agriculture is changing. Agriculture is uh, evolving. And so, too, how we manage crop nutrition. So what we're exploring are new ways to manage crop nutrition to maximize the return on that fertilizer investment. Historically, we focused on mineral granular crop nutrition to do that. And as we've learned more and studied the science more, we've learned that we can improve the efficiency of crop nutrition using biologicals, different forms of biological tools. So that's what this announcement is about. Um, uh, our commitment to bringing the best-in-class biological tools to the market to help our growers maximize the impact of their crop nutrition. Well, Rossi, you kind of alluded to it there, and I, I'd have to think that you know part of the reason Mosaic's getting into the biological sector it just seems like a a natural fit with what you guys were already doing, isn't it? Yeah, we believe it's a really good fit because um, we know that the biological tools that are available have specific impacts on how we manage crop nutrition but the marketplace and our customers i farm myself retailers and farmers are looking for expertise in how we marry best-in-class granular fertilizer technologies with best-in-class biological tools to help and if we bring them together that gives us the very best chance to maximize the impact of that fertilizer investment. We call that advanced crop nutrition. If we bring mm -hmm. best in class granular <clears throat> uh, tools together with best in class biological tools. And we believe that is a very critical step towards maximizing the efficiency of our fertilizers um, and the return on that investment. And we believe that these tools that we're working on will help get us there. Well, I have to think that, you know, 
stronger, healthier crops. That's, that's such a big part of all of this here. That's what you guys are really after and working with our growers across the country. And, you know, as growers are looking at the portfolio, the Mosaic Biosciences portfolio, what are some of the things they can expect? Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. Great question, Jesse. So we're going to focus on two different areas, especially uh, here in the early going. We want to focus on um, the space of nutrient use enhancers. How can we um, help those crops access more of the nutrition and increase the recovery of those um, that, that fertilizer investment? The, the second space that we're going to focus closely on is um, biostimulants how we can help that crop manage through stressful times. Stressful times like drought, heat, uh, salinity, or, or salt. But it's, it's less about products per se and more about solutions, mm -hmm. comprehensive solutions. How can we bring solutions to the real challenges that farmers are facing? And, and we do that, Jesse, and this is the interesting thing, using global experts <clears throat> where we are founded on science we will um search to the ends of the earth to find who the global and leading experts are in these different spaces and collaborate with them and work with them so we can make sure that we're developing a solution that will work on your acre so my background is in the science and we focus closely on hev heavily on those global collaborations but also mm -hmm. local testing at the same time so we're really excited about that. Uh, I have to think as well, as you guys are putting together everything, and you know, you work on the science side there and putting the, together the portfolio on the biosciences side here with some of the products that, I mean, we already know from Mosaic, like Micro Essentials, for instance. I, I have to think that all of this is really going to be kind of married together and work together really well, isn't it, Ross? Yeah. <clears throat> I Again, I, I farm and... Yeah. Um, my crop nutrition program starts off with thinking about how I'm going to tackle um, my NP and K needs. And I immediately go to granular nutrition to, to, to help formulate that plan. But as, as our approaches to crop nutrition evolve in time, I, I would expect and encourage to not think about mineral crop nutrition and biological crop nutrition as isolated decisions that we think about them as a comprehensive approach. So working with your local retailer to think about how you partner the granular nutrition that your fertilizer program needs or liquid, um, if that's what you need and use, with the biological tools that will help you sort of unlock that and access more of those nutrients in the soil, that, that ultimately, there, there's no trick to it, but we need to think comprehensively and, and simultaneously at the same time so we're developing a solution that gives you the best chance for being successful. Being smart about putting together that crop nutrition plan. I mean, we think about it, Ross, and I'm sure you could expand upon this as well. Just the amount of weather challenges we're facing now, you know, from drought to, you know, too much water, maybe potentially, and, and making sure we, we find, you know, our best uh, ROI for what we're putting onto our crops to get that best overall yield potential. I mean, there's so many factors that go into making sure we have the right nutrition plan for our crops, isn't there, Ross? Yeah, I, I think my approach on my own farm is a lot of planning. Personally, I view agriculture as it, it is an outdoor sport, but it can be emotional as well. It's raining like crazy, we're getting hail, we have a drought coming. It can be a bit emotional 
What I like to do is stay grounded and build out a really good crop nutrition plan well in advance. So it takes away, it, it sort of strips away some of the emotion to it. It doesn't mean that that plan can't be flexed in season and you make some real-time changes to that crop nutrition plan. I like to build out a really good sound crop nutrition plan well in advance. So I'm thinking about these biological components, the mineral components, the timing, the placement rates, and that strips away some of the emotion and that I think can help lead growers to be more successful in their unique situations. I know folks can learn more cropnutrition.com or contact their local retailer. Ross Bender with the Mosaic Company. Thanks for joining us here on AOA today and telling us more about Mosaic Biosciences. We appreciate it. Thank you, Jesse. All right, up next, Jamie Kress, the secretary for the National Association of Wheat Growers here on AOA, powered by Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Premium Diesel, diesel that doesn't mess around. Back with more right after this. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Nothing offers an opportunity to bond and give thanks quite like breaking bread together. This is especially true as we welcome our troops back home and keep those who are still stationed overseas in our hearts. Hi, I'm Gary Sinise. Since 2011, the Gary Sinise Foundation's Serving Heroes program has shown gratitude to our nation's defenders and their families by serving up nearly 500,000 hearty classic American meals at travel hubs and military locations. And now, together with our friends at Bob Evans Farms and their Our Farm Salutes program, we will help to provide even more meals nationwide, offering our defenders a taste of home and the feeling of togetherness around the table. Help us show America's gratitude through food and fellowship. Look for the Bob Evans Our Farm Salutes purple packaging at your grocery store and visit ourfarmsalutes.com to learn more. While we can never do enough to support the men and women who serve together, 
we can make a difference bite by bite. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. Welcome back to AOA, powered by Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Premium Diesel. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Find more information, your nearest location online, Cenex.com. Right now, let's turn our attention to the National Association of Wheat Growers. Joining us, their secretary, Jamie Cress, is with us. Jamie, great to have you on AOA today. I hope you're doing well. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Well, let's dive in and talk about issues that are important to the National Association of Wheat Growers. And just to start uh, here, Jamie, I know you guys just had a fly-in here uh, last week, I believe, in D.C. Can you give us a rundown and talk about that fly-in and some of the things that went on during the fly-in? You bet. We were very excited to to get that second piece of our summer Farm Bill fly-in series finished up last week, as you mentioned. So we did the first part in late July. We brought some of our growers in and they had some fantastic meetings. They were actually in July able to meet with uh, Senate Ag Committee Chairman Stabenow, Ranking Member Bozeman, and also House Committee Chairman Thompson, as well as other members of Congress to discuss priorities in the Farm Bill. We followed up just last week on those July visits And we were able to meet uh, between these two visits with over 110 offices. And just last week, we had growers from 14 states that came in. They met with their delegations. And then again, with staff from Four Corners of the House and Senate Ag Committees. So it was very effective. It was was fantastic to be able to go uh, get in depth in July, start these conversations, and then come back last week and finish up. Uh, and, and, you know, answer any questions, tee up a few things. Uh, we're really excited and pleased with how our uh, summer farm bill fly-ins have turned out. Well, obviously, those conversations surrounding the farm bill, uh, very important. Uh, and first, I mean, can you highlight us, just update us some of those uh, big farm bill priorities from the perspective of uh, National Association of Wheat Growers? Of course. So for our organization, top of mind is protecting crop insurance. That's the cornerstone of the farm safety net. It's important to all of our growers. So wheat is unique. We've got uh, wheat in a significant part of the country and a lot of different uh, microclimates. Uh, We're growing six different classes. So it's really great that we have something like crop insurance that is a valuable tool for such a broad group of farmers in the country. So obviously, uh, along with many other commodities, we want to protect and where we can, we want to enhance crop insurance as well. Uh, In addition to that, we're looking at uh, strengthening and enhancing Title I. We understand that there are some issues with funding that um, it's difficult right now to Mm -hmm. find additional resources to really bolster uh, that Arkham PLC. Uh, but we are still communicating that message that we would appreciate uh, some type of assistance there. Obviously, the program as is would be great. We don't want to see that cut. But if we can find some extra help in uh, in Title One, that would be great. We also spent some time talking about the uh, importance of the voluntary conservation programs that producers 
have access to. Um, these are the things, you know, that your listeners might be familiar with through NRCS. We love uh, those programs that they're voluntary, that we can utilize local people on the ground. We have that technical assistance. We have that financial assistance. And it allows producers around the country to really target uh, and zero in on those things that matter on their farm and that can make a difference. So we're very much in support of uh, those programs and seeing that we have good funding and that we have especially that technical assistance focus Mm -hmm. uh, moving forward in this farm bill. Well, we are talking with Jamie Kress, the secretary for the National Association of Wheat Growers. Jamie, I should ask as well, uh, in those farm bill discussions, how about the trade title? Uh, Any talk surrounding that, MAP, uh, FMD, et cetera? Yeah, MAP and FMD are very important to the wheat industry, as they are many other commodities in the United States. Uh, Interestingly enough, they haven't had a boost in funding in nearly 20 years. So in that amount of time, We have had additional commodities come to that pie, if you will. And then the pie has shrunk through sequestration, through uh, USDA, getting some administrative costs out of that. And then, of course, inflation, right? Mm -hmm. Your money just doesn't go as far as it used to. So we have been, uh, along with a broad group of agriculture, really educating and putting forward that need to increase the funding to MAP and FMD so that we can ensure that we continue to have uh, the financial ability to promote um, to promote and to market our U.S. agricultural commodities around the world, but also to continue to build demand for our U.S. agricultural products. Fantastic, fantastic. Jamie, as well, uh, I should just ask real quick, in those conversations on Capitol Hill, a lot of the chatter is a uh, farm bill, maybe by the end of the year, we got the the appropriations uh, and government shutdown potential in front of us right now that I think we got to get through first, obviously. So is that kind of the talk you heard is maybe by the end of the year, we could see this farm bill done? (laughs) So I heard a handful of different messages and interestingly, all from important sources or people who, uh, who have a feel for what's going on. And I think there is definitely that optimism and that desire to get the bill done by the end of the year. But you're exactly right. We are up against uh, the issue of needing to deal with fiscal year 24 appropriations. And I I really felt an undertone of getting the bill done right is maybe more important than pushing it to meet an arbitrary deadline, if you will. Okay. Um, We all understand that there's some dates, you know, we've got the end of this calendar year that really matters. But I, I really felt strongly that they really don't want this bill to get caught up in politics. And there's going to be a time when it feels right to introduce it. One of the best takeaways, so of course, as a farmer, we want certainty. And mm-hmm. as an organization, we are we are pushing to get a farm bill done and um, always encourage timeliness in that. But something that I walked out of a meeting with a little, um, maybe a little more confidence and a little more calm and reassurance was that uh, one of the staff members in an ag committee said, we're ready to go. If they said, let's do this tomorrow, he says, we are absolutely ready to go. But the reality, which is what you and I have just been talking about, he followed that up with, if we have more time, we're going to use it properly. So I loved that 
they acknowledge that there might be some time here that it's not going to happen as quickly as we all want it to. But I, I felt confident that they weren't just sitting in D.C. waiting to pull the trigger. These guys are still asking questions. They're still fine tuning their work, still trying to deliver the best bill possible. And uh, so I walked away from that particular meeting last week feeling confident that if we have a farm bill by the end of the year, that would be great. If we have to deal with extensions and moving it a little uh, more into next year, they still have that under control too. Okay. All right. Before we let you go, uh, I know the wheat industry as a whole is applauding the Senate's uh, introduction of the American Farmers Feed the World Act uh, just introduced here this week by Senators Mike Braun of Indiana, Senator John Tester from Montana, uh, Senator Roger Marshall from Kansas, and Senator Pete Ricketts from Nebraska. And I'd have to thank this program uh, looking at restoring the original intent of the Food for Peace program and, uh, you know, finding a way to bring those U.S. commodities such as U.S. grown wheat to uh, folks around the world who are in need. So if you could just comment on that for us, I'd have to think this would be a, a great thing to see for uh, the U.S. wheat industry and others as a whole, Jamie. Absolutely. We are very thrilled with yesterday's announcement. This is something we've been working on for a couple of working on publicly for a couple months now. And the use of American-grown commodities and food aid has been a cornerstone of U.S. foreign assistance programs for decades. We want to see that continue. And American Farmers Feed the World Act of 23 will help that to continue. So we're just, we're protecting that uh, opportunity to ensure that it's American commodities making its way to destinations in need. There's a lot of value in in having that American commodity in that sack with the American flag. Mm-hmm. It, it means it, it, there's a tremendous amount of uh, goodwill that comes with that. And additionally, as we talk about it, I think sometimes it can be sensitive, right? We're talking about feeding people in need and taking care of people in need. And so we don't necessarily want to focus on me speaking as a farmer on our side of the situation, but it's always a great thing for us and for our rural communities here in America to be part of that economic engine that provides that crop to go help those people in need. Folks can find more, of course, wheatworld.org, and they can stay in touch with the National Association of Wheat Growers. We've been talking with their secretary, Jamie Kress. Jamie, thanks for joining us here on AOA today. Really appreciate the conversation. We'll get you back on the program again soon. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right, coming up next here on AOA, powered by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. We'll get an update on the global market picture with Kyle Holland from Mintech. That's next here on AOA. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the latest episode of The Monthly Grind with our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. We'll discuss the latest topics surrounding the corn industry, the relationships between corn and other parts of the agricultural supply chain, the newest initiatives and partnerships from NCGA's Market Development Action Team, and much more. That's the first Wednesday of every month for The Monthly Grind on AOA. It's a show you don't want to miss. Spot less. Introducing the cleanup for tar spot, gray leaf spot, southern rust, and more. Novel next generation at Astrio fungicide. 
broadens your spectrum and strengthens your residual when it comes to foliar disease control in corn. Visit your FMC retailer or at astrio.ag.fmc.com to clean up this season. Follow 2WE for tar spot management in corn. Valid until 131.28. Always read and follow all label directions. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risfet with this market update. Money flow is cautiously returning to the commodity and equity sectors today following a risk-off session yesterday after the Federal Reserve sounded a hawkish tone on Wednesday. The VIX is pulled back to 17 this morning. That's after pushing to one-month highs near 18 yesterday. The dollar index continues to follow Treasury yields higher with additional support from a more dovish-than-expected Bank of Japan policy statement. The dollar index is also trading near 105.5 after reaching a fresh six-month high near 105.8 earlier today. Crude oil prices are almost 2% higher this morning as well, while the grain and oil seed markets are mostly higher to start today. Now, Mexico has hiked import tariffs by 5 to 25% on a total of 392 products effective on August 16th. That's impacting nearly 90% of Chinese exports to Mexico. Mexico and Canada are the primary trading partners for the U.S., but Mexico has also become an important destination for Chinese products in recent years, often to re-export them to the U.S., Now, this comes as trade restrictions escalate between China and the European Union, with the latest developments including the EU's anti-subsidy investigation into Chinese exports of electric vehicles. Now, over in the Black Sea, water exports are slowly increasing from Ukraine. Two ships have now safely departed from Ukraine's port, utilizing its humanitarian corridor that's carrying a total of 20,000 metric tons of products. Three more vessels are said to be moving towards those ports to be loaded with agricultural products and iron ore, with a combined capacity of 127,000 metric tons. The expectation is that other shippers will be emboldened to do the same if nothing happens, releasing some bulk commodities onto the world market. The question will remain, though, will Russia allow this to actually happen? The West does not want to see Ukraine's egg production capabilities grind to a halt, which would eventually be expected to result in global food shortages. You're listening to AOA for the American Egg Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. Take a look under your bed. Find stuff under there? What about jobs? No? Now try your basement. There's a pair of overalls that overall you're not so into anymore. A perfectly good laptop that hasn't sat in your lap in months. And even more stuff, but still no jobs? Well, you really have both. See, stuff is defined as household articles considered as a group. Sometimes this stuff is no longer needed. Wait, no longer needed? That can't be right. Because remember those jobs you were looking for? Those are really needed, and they're the stuff inside your stuff. Even inside that winter coat that moved with you to Phoenix. Our job is to unlock those jobs, and it starts when you donate your stuff to your local Goodwill. Here's how we do it. When you donate to Goodwill, we sell your stuff to provide job training for people right here in your community. So just by teaming up with Goodwill, you help create jobs. And isn't that worth parting with the leftover keytar from your 80s cover band? Goodwill. Donate stuff, create jobs. Find your nearest donation center at goodwill.org. A message from Goodwill and the Ad Council. Informing America's farmers and ranchers. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen back with you here. Today's program brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. 
Right now, we want to turn our attention to the global market picture. How is the Russia-Ukraine situation continuing to impact the market picture overall? We want to catch up on many of these things globally right now with Kyle Holland. He's a market analyst with Mintech based in London. And Kyle, thanks for joining us again here on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Yeah, thanks so much. It's been a little while. There's a lot to talk about. I'm excited to discuss some of it today. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Let's dive in and, and talk a little bit. And I think just since we last talked, not, not a lot of change on the front when it comes to the Russia-Ukraine situation. I know Russia out of the grain deal, obviously. And so we, we've seen maybe a bit of a, a slowdown in some of the exports uh, from Ukraine because of that. We've seen more port bombings on the Danube River, etc. I guess just to start, get us up to speed on, on the Russia-Ukraine situation and how it's impacting uh, the global marketplace right now, Kyle. So, yeah, I mean, you're quite right. Um, effectively, not a lot has really changed um, in the sense that the ports are still being bombed by drone attack, we, we hear. Um, and I think added to that, not only have the Danube ports been attacked, which are the main export ports after the Grain Corridor closed, the Grain Corridor ports such as Mariupol, um, Berdansk, et cetera, continue to be attacked as well. And I think that's been a, a bit of a sea change in the way things have been going. When they're operating, I think they were more, they were an active target, as you may naturally imagine, but they were closed and they've still been attacked. And this has kind of increased the concerns overall about the, the Grain Corridor deal not going back online, not being a thing that's going to happen again this season, market players tell us. And I think more broadly, what has occurred is it's almost twofold, really. So the Ukrainian guys that we speak to, market players, are struggling to export a lot of their volumes. They're limited in where they can export to, naturally because the grain corridor deal closure. And you have the Danube ports, Ismail, Reni, and Kilia being attacked pretty much on a daily basis at this point. So it's very difficult to, for Ukrainian players to market their, their products. And actually the reverse a little bit happened and what you might expect. The price of some of the commodities have actually come down significantly because Ukraine are struggling to export. They're lacking buyers. So, for example, on sunflower oil, we've seen the prices cascade significantly lower, even lower than pre-war, which is you know, something I don't think many people thought would happen. Well, and I know as well with Ukraine trying to find other avenues to export, I, I believe here just in the last couple of days, we've seen more issues creep up with some of their neighboring countries to the West, haven't we, Kyle? Yeah, absolutely correct. Yeah, you're spot on. So last time, uh, I'm sure remember, we discussed the export bans that are in place for the 15th of September. That, of course, has lapsed. Now, the EU kind of tried to buy a bit of time, maybe is the right word for this. They offered um, those nations of so Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Romania, Bulgaria, a package to try and get them to accept Ukrainian grains and, and oil seeds, etc. After after that date. Now, from what we've heard and what we understand from being speaking to market players on the ground is that these countries have put the bans back in themselves. So they've said, you know, we don't, we're not waiting for the EU to put these bans back in place or listen to our mm -hmm. story we're going to ban them anyway. And it's a very, very strange situation because EU nations on their own within the European Union can't decide trade policy. It's not something they can do. It's led by the bloc. Now, Bulgaria changed tactics a little bit. And they said, OK, we'll allow um, agricultural imports from, from Ukraine into the nation. And pretty much immediately, from what we understand from marketplace in Bulgaria, there was blockades, there's protests by farmers that actually got quite heated and from what we understand now, Bulgaria have joined the ban list again themselves. So, again, you know, as we circle back a little bit, 
you can just struggle to find export avenues to, to get the grain too. You can still transship through. So you can still transship through uh, Bulgaria, except you can go through the nation onto France or wherever that may be. But the export options are limited. Farmers are struggling. And the prices for the, the Ukrainian farmers, I think, is a big worry. And I really want to highlight that you know, while we have a minute and say that the prices they're getting for their goods right now are, in some cases, below margin. They're not making mm -hmm. any money on these sales, but they're forced to continue to sell because they need the cash flow, they need money to keep rolling in. And it's, it's a very difficult situation for everyone, I think. It is a very difficult situation. It's just a, a very complicated situation, I feel like, just when you, you look at the trade flows and, and all the issues, and obviously, you know, with Russia standing there too. And I know as far as just the, the global wheat market picture, Russia's got such a huge crop right now at very, very cheap values that it is also kind of depressing uh, prices in the wheat market a little bit, Kyle. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, that's that's probably true for most commodities, really. I mean, again, if we, we look at wheat as an example, the, the amount of wheat that Russia produces and has in store, because their, their export has been limited a little bit as well, you know, of course, with the trade restrictions from the EU. So they have a lot of supply. They have a lot of oncoming supply. Same with sunflower seeds. They are, along with Ukraine, the biggest, uh, the two biggest producers of sunflower seeds and, and usually oil, too. And they just have a lot of supply that they're looking to offload, and it's depressing the prices more generally. I mean, European wheat can't really compete with the, the Russian offers. Um, there's not many wheat prices that actually can compete with the, with the Russian prices right now, I don't think. And it's something that we definitely want to keep our eyes on and watch this whole situation and some of those European prices. You know, I, I watch, you know, French wheat prices, uh, Paris milling wheat futures pretty regularly is maybe an indicator of some of the trends we're seeing. And so I, I know that's something to keep our eyes on, too. And one other note, I, I've seen a story from Reuters here about you know, Romanian ports looking to kind of increase their capacity quickly as they remain one of the shipping lanes for some of this Ukrainian grain still here, despite some of the sanctions and more that we're talking about, Kyle. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So the, the big export port in terms of Romania for Ukrainian goods has been Constanta. Now, I think that, you know, as, as I mentioned before, we're quite close to the situation in the players in the marketplace. And they're telling us that not everything's rosy in Constanta. Um, they say the logistics are very, very, the, the cost prohibitive. There's a huge queue. Not many ships are getting in and out on a daily basis. And the backlog is causing, again, another issue where Ukraine is struggling to export out of theirs as well, uh, there as well. So I think, you know, there's a lot of nations that have mentioned improving ports, offering their ports for, for Ukrainian use. But logistically, it's actually pretty difficult. You know, it's not as easy as it sounds. On paper, it sounds great. But I, I can't count on, on one hand the amount of ideas I've heard from different nations saying, yeah, we'll help Ukraine export, and then it comes to nothing. And Romania, I think, is probably the, the main one, really, where we've seen some actual action. And even that now seems to be a bit of a worry point with Constanza filling up and just issues happening there, too. So as we think about just the global market landscape and, and obviously the Russia-Ukraine situation having a big effect, we think about China and what they're doing as far as imports and bringing in a lot of South American grain. Also, obviously, their ties with Russia, or at least kind of standing behind Russia, so to speak, here as they work through their conflict and more. And just we, we think about the global trade flows overall. Big picture 
anything really stand out to you here going into this fourth quarter of uh, 2023 that we should be watching closely, Kyle? Uh, I think you've highlighted one of the points I would certainly point you know point out as well, um, if that's even a phrase. China is, is, is a massive one. Um, what China do with their demand profile moving forward is going to be key. Um, I'm sure as many of the listeners and, you, and yourself know, Jesse, China is a difficult one to get, to get clear information from. Let, let, let's be fair to them. Um, you hear one thing, then you hear another, and then the government say another sometimes, particularly on ags. Um, we hear, we heard from players in China that their wheat crop was badly damaged um, by they had quite an extreme amount of flooding, particularly in, in key areas where they grow most of their wheat. Now, if you look at some of the press releases, that hasn't really come through. But people are suspicious. They think there's probably a big hole for wheat there. And naturally, the, the Russia have a, a rather large geographical advantage going into China rather than the other nations. So I think that's one big thing. It's also a big thing on, on beans as well and, and meal more generally. So some of the ore seeds too. What did China look look to buy? I mean, right now, their pipelines are pretty full. Um, they're mm-hmm. coming to Golden Week, which starts in the 1st of October. And that's, I believe, till the, the following week, eight-ish. So they're buying a step down a little bit. And I think the big thing is, after this golden week, after the, the mini-closure, what do they come back and buy? Are they, are they buying wheat? Are they, are they buying beans? And I think that could give us a real big clue of China's need and their actual amount that they have of these goods moving forward. I think this, the second biggest thing, I think, for me, and I think it's going to be an ongoing issue, is do we see revival of the Grain Corridor deal? Um yeah. We keep hearing talk about it. You know, we've heard that Putin has met with the UN and, and EU leaders, etc. From what we hear on the ground, and I'll try and lay it out as clean as I can, is that Russia want a bit too much. They want, you know, a reconnection to the SWIFT banking system. They want a relaxation of export restrictions for some of their goods. And so far, the EU said, in press releases at least, that's not happening. Now, you know, should there be a deal that happens? The trade flows again change. So, I think, you know, it's a bit cliche to say but this is going to be one that we have to keep an eye on throughout the whole time it, until, you know, the conflict resolves. Either way, it's going to be an issue uh, moving forward, I think. And thirdly, I think, just to kind of round out, I think weather's a big thing as well. Um, mm. That's an easy thing to say, but yeah, I'll, I'll pinpoint it a bit more. <laughs> um, some of the, the crops that we're seeing come through, you know, they're, they're not looking that great. Some of the Canadian crops are not looking brilliant because of the, the very, very dry weather there in the key growing areas. Bit more rains come through, but we see consistent downward revisions by Statistics Canada and the meteorological um, industries over there as well. So that for me is a big thing. How much does Canada actually produce when all is in the bin effectively? I would also maybe throw in energy and crude oil with you yeah. there as well. I think that's another big issue we're watching. going to have to watch here through this fourth quarter, Kyle. That's a great point. Yeah. I mean, crude oil prices are, you know, have been accelerating. There are some concerns, of course, how much further upside can there be? You have some of the uh, the OPEC nations, OPEC Plus, saying that they don't want to export as much as many barrels. And there's always this float in the background. And I think you're right. I think some of the macro issues as well in the US and, and China more broadly could come into play as well. Well, we do appreciate the global perspective on the markets, and we'll look forward to getting you back on the show again soon. Kyle Holland, market analyst with Mintech. Thanks so much for the time, and we will talk to you again soon. Absolutely. Pleasure. Thank you for having me. Take care. All right, coming up next, we'll talk with Minnesota Farmers Union Vice President Ann Schwangel here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Roadmaster XL and Cenex Premium Diesel. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Back with more right after this. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. 
Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans and if left untreated can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice US. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org. 54. So, basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going... <laughs> hey, listen. It's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. It's National Farm Safety and Health Week. Today, we're talking with Vicki Kilgore, a senior risk management consultant for Nationwide, about ways to prevent injuries on the farm. Vicki, what precautions can help prevent injuries on the farm, especially during busy seasons? I would have to say that when we're in the middle of harvest, those stress levels are high. Farmers are working those long hours and many times very little sleep. So by being aware of the problem, we can decrease the likelihood of those accidents happening. So realizing that we're fatigued, that we may need extra time to think about what we are doing to help prevent those accidents. Mental health is part of overall health. What do you recommend for managing stress? Agriculture can be one of the most stressful occupations out there. So we have everything from uncertain weather, fluctuation of market prices, input costs, machinery breakdowns, all of those things can be stressors. Really, farmers also can be very isolated, understanding that that's an issue and that's a problem and being willing to talk to people about some of the things that stress that you're having. And again, taking a break, taking some time out, which is hard to do during busy times. Vicki, what resources are available to help farmers stay safe and healthy? There are a ton of resources out there, anywhere from farm safety for just kids, different farm mental health services and stuff. They can be a little different state by state. You can look at your local extension services, once again, that's Vicki Kilgore with Nationwide. Thank you for joining us around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. 
At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bear Group. Always reserved. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. Informing America's Farmers and Ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by our friends at Cenex. Cenex Premium Diesel, including Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Let's turn our attention now to the recent fly-in for the National Farmers Union. Many of the state Farmers Union organizations were represented in Washington, D.C. last week. One of those, the Minnesota Farmers Union. Joining us now, their Vice President Ann Schweggles with us. And great to talk with you again. I hope you're doing well. It's great to be here, Jesse. It's another beautiful fall day in Minnesota today. Well, we appreciate the time and the insight and uh, happy to hear you're, you're back in Minnesota after spending a few days on Capitol Hill. And as I was mentioning, that fly-in for the uh, Farmers Union members from across the nation, I believe it was over some 300 members uh, were in D.C. last week for the legislative fly-in. Can you give us a, a bit of a recap of what you guys talked about? Yeah, we, you know, we're there with the National Farmers Union for our annual fly-in you know, this year is being especially kind of critical year for us to show up and have our voices heard as a farm bill year so that members of Congress can hear about kind of the priorities of family farmers from across the country. We were there, you know, specifically focusing on the farm bill uh, and then other kind of legislative policies that tie very closely into kind of production agriculture in the United States. Our, our biggest priority was getting a farm bill done and done well, uh, and not just uh, done to get done. <laughs> we want to see a farm bill that has a strong competition titles for fair and open markets for farmers, build more transparency into the markets. We, with Farmers Union, are really fighting the corporate consolidation that we see across agriculture that's driving uh, farmers out of business, frankly. Mm -hmm. And so we want to see more producers on the landscape and policies that support them. Along with that, we want to see, you know, a strong conservation title uh, that is uh, continues the work that was and funding that was implemented in the Inflation Reduction Act and maintains that. We also want to see a strong and unified nutrition title that supports a local and regional food systems. Um, those were kind of the big tentpole uh, items that we we're advocating for when we were in Capitol Hill. Sure. Well, and I know also trying to get this farm bill done correctly, a lot of the chatters uh, you alluded to is that 
We're probably going to get an extension of the current farm bill. The question is, how long is it? Uh, you know, the full year. Do they end up taking up the full year of? Uh, getting into a presidential election year next year or not, or are they are they do an extension and then we have something by Christmas time, a new farm bill. So I, I know that's kind of the, the two schools of thought here. Uh, any insight as to maybe what we're looking at? What did you hear? You know, if, if I had the answer to when the farm bill would be getting done, I certainly wouldn't be farming anymore. I'd be buying lotto tickets. <laughs> um, but that being said, you know, I really hope that lawmakers in D.C. can kind of put aside their differences. The Farm Bill has a rich history of being a bipartisan piece of legislation. I hope that this year they can continue to to do that and get it done before we get into the political circus. that's going to be a presidential election year because um, I think then it would become a lot more partisan. And I worry about the quality of the Farm Bill at that point. Yeah, and that's something that we're just going to have to keep our eyes on as uh, with this farm bill and and how we can get things done. Uh, I know as well, and outside of the farm bill, I know that's a big focus. But uh, were there any other discussions as you get all the all the members, uh, farmers union members together? Was there anything else big, top of mind that folks were were talking about together? You know, we were talking. We met with. 15 uh, parts of the federal administration from the EPA to the Federal Trade Commission to the uh, to the outside of USDA even. We have our big meeting at USDA every year, but we also met with different parts of the federal administration. We're discussing things, everything from uh, trade to, to biofuels and how to kind of continue to support the biofuel economy as we transition uh, to lower carbon intensity fuels uh, throughout the transportation system. Um, so there are, you know, the beauty of being a member of a general farm organization is that we get to talk about lots of different things that touch on agriculture and ag touches on a lot of different things all across the U.S. economy. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was actually really exciting. Um, it was really great to have kind of to be able to meet with high ranking officials in D.C. and kind of get a very personal boots on the ground uh, experience with them. People who don't often uh, set feet on uh, on farmland uh, get to hear directly from producers and, and what how those policies shape our ability to remain in business uh, in the United States. And before we uh, run out of time, want to ask you as well, turn our attention back to uh, Minnesota. Their fall harvest is uh, no doubt starting across much of the country, getting going. I know spring wheat harvest is wrapping up, and then we're going to get into corn and beans there in Minnesota pretty quickly. Uh, what's some of the latest you could share as far as uh, how this fall harvest is uh, turning out so far? Um, well, we will hopefully get started next week early on our soybean harvest here in western Minnesota. I was driving up in northwestern Minnesota earlier this week and beans were coming off and the beets, the sugar beets were going into pre-pile. Um, so those producers are running hard right now, I'm sure, with this nice weather. You know, I think it's really variable what we're going to see this year as far as yields go. Northwest Minnesota, you know, pockets around the Fargo-Moorhead area. Uh, got adequate rain and looks like they're going to have a, a beautiful crop. Um, and then, you know, in Southeast Minnesota, they're in central Minnesota, they're really dealing with some exceptional drought conditions. So I think it just is going to be pretty varied 
the combine will tell the truth uh, about what happens and kind of how, what the drought resistance of any of our current genetics in the corn and bean crop is. Um, but I think, you know, we'll have see some some yield drag for sure as a result of the dryness across the state. Well, that's uh, something we're going to watch as well as the uh, combines roll, and we hope everyone has a safe and happy uh, fall harvest season. Folks can uh, learn more, stay up to date online as well with the Minnesota Farmers Union at mfu.org. We've been talking with Ann Schwegel, Vice President for the Minnesota Farmers Union, and thanks for joining us here on AOA today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. It's great to be here. Once again, Minnesota Farmers Union Vice President and Schwagel. We're out of time here on AOA Today. The show brought to you by our friends at Cenex, including Cenex Roadmaster XL, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Find them online as well. Find your nearest location at Cenex.com. I'm Jesse Allen. Thanks for listening to AOA Agriculture of America. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation Foundation Fighting Blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org.